0: Okay, you're yeah,
1: record. I
0: like a little soft intro. Hi! Almost modern live. A podcast so butch. So massive. Almost modern live. A podcast. Are we surprised? No, but do we expect it? Yes. Recorded in front of a live studio audience. Like, like maybe not. No. <laughs> Was that as good for you as it was for me? Yeah, no. Hi, everyone. I'm Tyler of Homo's Modern Life.
1: And I'm JP of HML's Political Hookup.
0: We have come together for a very special crossover episode, and I'm very excited to have JP back on the mic with me.
1: Yeah. So today we are interviewing Charlie Gearing. He's running for Texas House District 114. Welcome, Charlie. Thanks, guys.
0: Appreciate
2: you all having me. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. We're excited to get the chance to talk to you. I'd love for you to kind of tell our listeners at home just a little bit about you, what made you run for this office, and a little bit about what your 114 is um, and who they are.
2: Yeah, great question. Uh, thank you so much again for having me, guys. Listen, I'm a I'm an attorney and a proud lifelong Democrat living in East Dallas. My wife and I live in uh, Casa Linda Forest by the Arboretum. Uh, East Dallas is our home. Uh, I've been practicing law in Dallas for the last 11 plus years. Throughout that time, I've been volunteering in the community a great deal, mostly through the Dallas Association of Young Lawyers, where I was Eventually became the president in 2019, mostly mostly working on homelessness and child poverty issues in the community. I met my wife volunteering seven months ago at the VA Resource Center in South Dallas. I love that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of the best things I ever did. Driving down there, so Mm -hmm. it was it was wonderful. I walked in and we were folding sweatshirts and uh, asked her out later that afternoon. First date was a week later. So, uh, but. since then we have built our family on service to others. Uh, you know I work a lot on getting more pro bono legal services free legal services to our neighbors and some other programs I can talk more about but um, the reason why we got in this race is that we are we feel called to do more uh, we feel called to answer this right- wing extremism that's taking over our state capital sure. and I'll tell you there were, three events earlier this year that really got me into the race. The first uh, involved our own family planning situation. Uh, My wife and I had our first pregnancy in April. Uh, We had our eight-week appointment in May, the day after the heartbeat bill was signed. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went in and found out our child had stopped growing and didn't have a heartbeat. And so we Uh, we ended up having to have uh, basically a medical abortion to protect my wife from some real adverse health consequences. And I'm sitting in that doctor's office with Rachel and with Dr. Thurston and thinking, you know, it it should, should I even be in this room? Right. Uh, Should Greg Abbott be in this room? Should Dan Patrick be in this room? Should Uh Ken Paxton be in this room? I don't think so. Uh, And then Over the summer, we have uh, some neighbors a street over that have uh, a transgender child. Uh, They are dear, dear friends of ours. And we have watched them just live and die every single day with these 75 bills that the state legislature tried to jam through attacking their child, attacking their parenting, and attacking their doctors. And it has made us... Uh, feel like we need to stand up to this senseless bullying of the transgender and LGBTQ plus community. It's a community very near and dear to my and Rachel's hearts. I can tell you a little bit more about our work with that community uh, here, here later on. But then the last thing was, I was in Austin for the floor debate on SB1, the voting restrictions bill, and I got to watch are uh, basically extremists in Austin senselessly injure our democracy by limiting things like curbside voting and overnight voting and mail-in voting and things like that and restricting the the, the franchise even more than it already was restricted. So um, those are three issues that you know when the redistricting was done and and in, in, uh, in late and I guess it was in mid October uh, got me interested in joining this race and so. You asked also about the district. It's District 114. It is most distinctly my home. Uh, I'm a homeowner right in the middle of the district. I drive through the northern part of the district, through Lake Highlands to my office at Walnut Hill in 75. And for the last four years, I drove through the southern part of the district, kind of old East Dallas, Deep Ellum, and downtown to my old law office uh, with with our uh, mutual friend Raha Asadi. I used to practice law with Raha downtown, so we love
0: Raha over here. That's great, right.
2: yeah, yeah. One of my dearest friends. So, uh, but. The district is uh, wonderfully diverse. Uh, This is a a community that Rachel and I made a very conscientious choice to join when we bought our home here almost two and a half years ago. We moved very intentionally to East Dallas and to the district for Sanger Elementary, which is where we'd send our children because we want to support our public schools and specifically support DISD. Uh, We feel strongly about the comeback that DISD has made over the past decade. We want to be a part of that. So, love so, that yeah love
1: that um well speaking of the whole redistricting as you're aware but some of our listeners might not be totally aware um there's a current federal lawsuit uh accusing the state of texas for you know violating the voting rights act um through its current redistricting process so you know this could create a lot of delays and chaos in this current race and the primaries and so i had two quick questions for you which is you know how did this whole redistricting process affect you and You know, what are your campaign or campaign plans to kind of deal with the lawsuit and anything else?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, so I'll deal with the first of the two questions, how it affected us. Many of you uh, may not know this, but I got in uh, to a a race for Congress uh, back in January because of the conduct of my uh, former congressman. Uh, Lance Gooden. uh, I felt like he was aiding and abetting the insurrection on January 6th. And so my wife and I jumped into that race and ran hard for nine and a half months, raised a whole bunch of money and got some traction. And then wouldn't you know it, late September, we were drawn out of the district. Uh, You know, the line for this, for that district, congressional district five, now is less than two miles from my front door, and it's a district that spans, I think, six or seven counties. It's hundreds of square miles, right? That's
0: so, wild. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, and it it was unfortunate. It wasn't a complete surprise because we do have this hyperpartisan gerrymandering going on in our state, hyperpartisan redistricting. And so, you asked about the lawsuit that's come up. I'll say this, you know, federal courts have found that the Texas legislature has drawn discriminatory maps, you know, more times than I can count. Rafael Chia always says this. It's something like 48 times or something. I, it may not be that many times, but, you know, back in 2010 and 2000, previous findings have been made like this. And so it is completely possible because some of the relief that was requested by the Justice, Justice Department Includes injunctive relief that could delay the primary from March first. It could push back the filing deadline that passed early this evening. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could happen, right? Uh, that could result from that. If the court finds that maybe the court needs to redraw the map, uh, then you know we we could we could hit the we, we could have some delays. But I will say this: you know, the Dallas County map for the state house districts, including my district was the product of a bipartisan compromise. Uh, Representative Raphael and Chia redrew the map after an initial draft, and the Republicans in, the, in Dallas County, Morgan Meyer, Angie Chen Button, and then the rest of the Republican delegation agreed to this map, um, it, you know, because frankly, you know, it helped Republicans and it helped Democrats, uh, and so it was a compromise. Hmm. Uh, our district, for instance, is heavily Uh, loaded with Biden voters I think it was 68 percent Biden voters but because of that and kind of the packing of a bunch of Democratic voters into this district it made Angie Chen Button and Morgan Myers districts more Republican and so their seats are a little safer after they've been running in kind of 59 or or sorry 51 49 races the last couple cycles so
0: wait what 59 races
2: no 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 forgive me like 51, oh. 51, 49, like waiting, oh. like but
0: I, I was like, they've been no. elected 59 times.
2: No. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No. I should be, I should be more clear. No, they, they've just been running in these razor thin races. Right. Yeah. And they've been winning by very small margins. And so now with the voter makeup in their new districts, they probably, you know, I still think there's great challengers to both of those uh, those folks. And I'd encourage everybody to consider the Democratic candidates. They're all friends of mine. But um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tougher road, obviously.
0: Yeah. I mean, the idea is that these maps represent the voters that are within them's majority. So that's what's crazy to me. But I mean, I, I've never quite understood why things get redrawn 50 million times. But it does help in the long run. Um, Well, speaking of um, other fun things happening in Texas. um, It's getting colder, as you may have noticed. Um, And we all froze last year. I was one of the lucky ones that kept power. um, So I didn't get the brunt of it. But still as scary, especially as I'm in an older building these days. um, And it looks like it's a trend that's going to continue, at least for the immediate future. So what is your plan for winterizing? Uh, also, summarizing, because uh, that's summer is just as hard on the grid, um, Texas, and to make sure we all keep power and AC, or at least a reasonable amount of power and AC.
2: Absolutely. I think there's a couple short term things that we need to do, and then one long term thing that we need to do. First, short term, we need to have a requirement for these various energy suppliers to actually weatherize their lines. And by lines, I mean this, first of all, they need to weatherize the electrical lines that power their plants so that a natural gas plant has electrical lines flowing into it. Those need to be weatherized. And then that same plant's outgoing natural gas delivery system, that pipeline also needs to be weatherized because that was really one of the major thing. A lot of things went wrong in February, but that was the major one right? Because most of our power in this state comes from natural gas, oil and coal, right? Uh, I think it's only 10 to 15% comes from renewable energy. The rest of it comes from those sources. And natural gas failures were a big part of it. Uh, Vistra Energy, the largest uh, producer of energy once they received that natural gas in the state, Vistra Energy CEO just called out a couple weeks ago saying, he's very concerned that the natural gas companies have not weatherized their natural gas delivery pipelines. That needs to happen. A law was passed this last state legislature, but it gives natural gas companies a $150 opt out waiver that they can purchase so that they don't have to comply with, with weatherization requirements Uh, on that same vein, we have to have stricter disclosure requirements to make all energy producers, you know, traditional and renewables, everybody needs to disclose the measures that they are taking to improving the weatherization and the security of their of their systems. That's another thing we need to do. Long term, I think it's important that we invest in more renewable energy so that we take our proverbial eggs out of this one basket. Natural gas makes up such a huge portion of our energy production and energy supply here in the state. We need to invest more in coal, or no not coal, <laughs> uh, solar and wind and hydro energy. Um, those are not only gonna put, spread our eggs out, so if something goes wrong over here, we'll still have resources over here. Um, but it will also create a lot of jobs so you can become a, a wind turbine technician or a solar panel technician in this state before you know with a high school degree and a 60-day training training program mm-hmm. and you can make, start making good money right away i think as high as like 65 dollars an hour basically we oh, need yeah. to create we need to create more of those jobs um and and so i'd i'd support any incentive programs to diverse, to diversify our energy supply
0: Yeah. Well, and let's be real, frozen or not, I mean, wind was still blowing and the sun was still shining. We were just all in an ice cube. Um, If anything, that makes it more sun. So things that would not have failed during that. So absolutely.
2: And and I will also say our battery technology for retaining this renewable energy is improving. So it's kind of a Misconception that oh the turbine has to be turning in order for us to be getting energy. No, our batteries are getting better, so the wind turbine can spin and then we can store that energy and use it when we need it. So and honestly,
0: couldn't the wind turbine just keep itself warm at that point?
2: <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, exactly. It's fine.
0: It's still gonna be warm. <laughs> turbine, exactly.
1: yes. yeah, 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 man. That one hundred fifty dollar that is just such a weird thing. Yeah, one hundred and fifty
0: million. Sounds more like the option, but
1: sure. yeah,
2: pretty,
1: a lot of pretty, wacky government stuff going on for sure. Pretty easy way um, out
2: for sure, yeah. Yeah,
1: well, Charlie. So you had touched a little bit in your introduction about how you know just this growth of right wing extremism, just the wackiness that's popped up in the Republican Party, and how Texas has been home or a big home or house, like as you could say, for the Republican Party for a while, um, is something that really kind of got you interested in this race, and so. I was wondering a little bit about, you know, your thoughts, and if you're going to fight or try to reverse this current bill that got signed by the governor recently. So, for the audience, um, Texas recently passed the social studies bill that heavily, you know, regulates how race, slavery, um, any, I think it was controversial issue of public policy or social affairs is taught in school. And if any of that ever gets brought up in a the school, they have to give both sides kind of argument to something. Um, and at least from you know the gay perspective, the LGBT side of thing, there's still things like adoption rights, um, religious liberty, a lot of things where our lives are at stake and have become politicized, and could easily get lumped into you know that being banned from being talked or given equal sides to you know people who want to restrict our rights or the thought of that. So I, I just wanted I was curious about it. Do you plan to fight to reverse this bill? What are your thoughts on it?
2: Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you, uh, I'm the product not just of good Texas public schools, but a good Texas public schools where my two most influential teachers as a young person were my AP U.S. history teacher and my AP government teacher, right? The ones that dealt with a lot of these complex issues that, that didn't just teach me one side of the story, but taught me to ask critical questions and to think critically about things and to investigate things. And so I think it's important that we trust our teachers in this state. And laws like this, you know, ostensibly, you know, hamstring our teachers and forbid them from speaking openly about complex or difficult issues, right? Or require them to provide baseless, you know, other sides, you know, to to certain issues, right? So um, I'll give you an example, right? Like growing up, you know, I was taught, you know, that the Civil War, was fought over state's rights. And look, look, guys, it was fought over slavery, you know, like, yeah,
0: I was told state's rights too. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. Right. I guess that makes sense.
2: (laughs) That is just not, that's not the case. Right. And so any bill that, you know, wants to Whitewash or change how we teach about Harriet Tubman or Dr. King or Reconstruction or Jim Crow or these are important things that our students need to understand right if we don't give our teachers, the ability to explain these things openly and for our teachers to do their job that they have been doing well for decades, because I can attest. I was the beneficiary of great teachers that taught me these difficult subjects, right? I think that's nothing but negative for our state, you know, uh, right. and not, not just bad for, you know, our, our, our schools and our kids and our teachers, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be bad for business. It's going to be bad for our environment here in Texas because businesses want to come here because we have great schools and we have great opportunities so, when, so that when their workers come here from other states they have confidence they're going to be going to good schools or they're going to learn the truth, right? That's really what we want, you know.
0: And I think what's so crazy too is we always say we learn from the history or like we learn from our past. So in that sense, the past seems actually quite black and white, um, for lack of a better term. But uh, so, the, I mean, the fact that anything like that could be in question or the fact that already sensitive subjects have to be discussed with, you know, people in the room that now have to feel threatened in present day, I think is really difficult. And this is, you know, uh, not the same, but, you know, I have great grandparents who died in the Holocaust. So if someone were to tell me that's not real, or there's another option, it's kind of insulting and infuriating at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> yet our teachers should have the ability to contextualize that fully and be yeah. able to to show because, you know, for instance, when I was learning about the Holocaust, part of what I was taught about it was that there was denialism out there and yeah. how important it was to not believe any of that because there was no factual basis to support that. Right. Yeah. So that's what we need to allow our teachers to keep teaching kids.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, speaking of wild laws um, and something that you kind of touched on earlier, Texas has enacted one of the most severe laws on women's health by criminalizing essentially anyone who helps women in the act of getting abortion. Um, Uber driver, a friend that tells them they should do it, a friend that gives an address. Um, So what is your plan and how will you address this bill? And do you feel comfortable on working with republicans on that solution
2: i do and i'll say this first of all let's be clear sb8 is the most restrictive
0: mm-hmm. law
2: concerning abortion in the entire country it mm-hmm. is the most extreme and it is the most dangerous for women in this state and for anybody with a uterus in this state mm-hmm. to be to be to be complete about it okay yeah um it is a dangerous bill It is going to expose women to adverse health consequences, to uh, dangerous alternative surgeries and procedures that are going to cost Texas women and uh, Texas women their lives. I mean, it's it's not a matter of just pro-choice and pro-life and let's get on a Sunday morning talk show and debate this. Right. I mean, this is going to this is going to really hurt people, you know. And so um, I will say this, I. I, first of all, if it was my choice, we would get rid of SB8 completely. You know, Roe v. Wade is the law of the land. I respect women and I respect doctors to make these difficult choices. Just like they have for the last several decades, they need to continue to be trusted. However, yeah. I'm real. I'm realistic. I know we all know where this may be headed. And so, one thing I'm intent on doing is working across the aisle with republicans or anybody that may have hold pro-life uh beliefs in the the legislature to immediately pass a rape incest and health of the mother exception to this law Uh, we we desperately need to at least have that exception that is one thing that makes art the texas law so exceptional is that we have no such exception and so passing that alone would save thousands of lives, probably, Mm -hmm. if we had that exception. So I would Mm -hmm. concentrate first on getting that done. But I want to be very clear. I am an unequivocal supporter of reproductive rights and of women's equality in their healthcare choices. And I don't mind sharing with you both. I am very honored that Wendy Davis has endorsed my campaign because she knows that I'm talking at every door and on every stump with every voter about this issue a one i think it is one of the most pressing issues in our i think it is the most pressing issue uh in, in this election uh, i think i think it's a desperate time for women's yeah.
0: i just don't know how a show like handmade sale can come out and then a law like this follow so immediately
1: like
2: yeah. well it's and it's true. it's sadly it's building off of a lot of other deficits in our state for women right i mean yeah. We have the highest maternal mortality rate in the country and one of the highest in the world, you know, 30, 31% of women that are still dying in childbirth in this state are black women, right? That is just a travesty. It's unacceptable, right? We have the highest repeat teen pregnancy rate in the entire country, right? Mater- we have not expanded Medicaid to bring more prenatal and postnatal care to our less, you know, our less socioeconomically advantaged communities in the state. It is we we have an emergency, we have a crisis, and laws like this are only going to exacerbate it and cost more human life. We must deal with it urgently.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's for sure. Yeah, and congratulations by the way on the endorsement. That's pretty awesome that Wendy yeah. came in was. Did that. she
2: give you a good pair of
0: tennis shoes for walking?
2: I know. I she's getting she get me fitted for some. <laughs> I did actually.
0: She was my first political march that or walk. I don't. I it was eight years ago. I think at this point, and I remember she. We were in Austin when I lived there, and it was down Fourth Street, of course, with all of us, and then up to Congress. Um, I couldn't see her because there were so many people, but I know she was there um so yeah uh, i think it was when she was running for governor if i remember correctly against. back in
1: 2014 uh, 2014 yeah 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 Yeah, that was it first election Mm -hmm. but yeah we love to hear that you embody that fight because we definitely need all the vigilantism and all the just bonkers insane things that have been put into this bill we're happy
2: that you're gonna fight against that absolutely i mean uh, everything we can to carve it back and push it back to make life to make things safer for women to make things more equal for women, and like I said, for anybody with a uterus in the state, you know, it's vitally important. So, or yes, friends
0: with someone with a uterus. Let's be real. Like, if you're close <laughs> to someone with a uterus, it's you should feel it the same way.
2: And and I and that's exactly right. I mean, I'm concerned for my wife's well being, right? Uh, you know, in the state. I mean, thank goodness, I probably we'd be able to get her out of state and get her the health care she needs. But I know. I am well aware that many of our neighbors do not have that same access. And that is wrong. And it's wild that you'd have to do that. Yeah. Like what,
0: what even? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, in speaking of some, you know, other, um, What other gaps that are appearing in this state, whether it be through wealth and inequality and just kind of all this other stuff that's going on. You know, the Dallas area has really experienced a huge growth in housing costs and rent costs over the last few years. Some areas have gone up by 10, 15 percent, which is just crazy. Um, So, you know, if as, as a member of the state house and everything, what will you do? to, you know, increase the supply or supply of, you know, whether it be affordable housing or better yet, at least for me and Tyler and a lot of people in the LGBT community, stabilizing rent. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I will say this is a huge issue in our district, HD 114, big swath of downtown Deep Ellum and East Dallas. This is a huge problem. Uh, You know, there's lots of rebuilds. There's lots of uh, gentrification going on. There's new people moving into the neighborhood. It's raising property values. And I think one of the most tragic things that's happening is that there are families and usually grandparents who have paid off their home. They own their home. They have worked hard to own their home, but property taxes are so punishing and have gotten so high, they get taxed out of their home. They have to sell their house and move in with family or move move out east or move far further and further away from our community. And I think we have to do a couple of things. First, I think we have to uh, address the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs and that code surrounding the development and building of affordable housing. That code has not been touched or updated in at least a few decades. That is a top priority. We need to make it easier and more streamlined uh, and better incentivize the building of affordable housing uh, here in Dallas. We have some city council members that are doing some really wonderful, strong work on the issue. Uh, Paul Ridley, Chad West, some other folks, you know, are working on these mixed use developments uh, to help bring a a better spectrum of of housing opportunities for folks. Um, This is what's going to help us Make sure that, you know, the janitor at Sanger Elementary or, you know, the barista at Starbucks downtown can still live reasonably close to work. And we won't turn into a city like New York or San Francisco where they have to live 30, 40 miles away uh, and they can't be a part of the community. They just in those communities, they have to truck in and work there and be a part of the community by day. And then they have to ride an hour, hour and a half back home. And that's just wrong. You know, Um, the other thing I think we can do is probably work on some of the already some of the tax restrictions in place to make sure that longtime homeowners you know 15 20 25 30 years we can slow down the growth of their property taxes like they do in lots of other states lots of other states that have mechanisms like this and texas has some limited mechanisms but we can probably do a better job of slowing the curve the exponential rise of property taxes for long-term homeowners, so that that's another that's another idea. As far as rent control and things like that, be, I mean, I'm willing to to consider any anything like that to to help. I know that helps a lot in the cities I mentioned, like San Francisco and New York. Um, but of course, that would have to be hand in hand with city authorities here and the yeah. city of Dallas, obviously.
1: Right. So, right. So. Yeah, especially, and it's interesting. At least. for Oakland, which is Dallas' LGBT community, I mean, the rent and even the house price has just been going up, 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 and up. And it's one of those things where like this place, and it still is, was very much a pearl and a place for refuge for, you know, if you were a kid in high school who got kicked out of your home for being gay, this was a place you can come, get a job and live relatively affordably. Now that's not the case as much anymore, but at least it sounds like if you're saying we can at least get it easier for people to get into houses and have housing be more affordable, more common, more cheap, it could be it could kind of take off some of that pressure on rent if I'm hearing yeah. you right
2: and no it could and I think one of the big reasons why we have all these skyrocketing rents and skyrocketing property values is a lack of inventory right we, yeah. need, we need more housing We've grown uh, you know the influx of all these companies moving into the area. Uh, we just have a lot of demand and we're not meeting the demand, frankly. So uh, and part of the yeah. solution there is going to be some high density housing. You see more of it being built throughout the city, right? More townhomes and more apartment buildings and things like that. I think that's that, that's all that's all that's all positive.
0: Yeah. If things were just slightly more affordable, I would buy in a second. you know, I do decent well um with a shopping addiction so that's another story (laughs) um probably why i'm so willing to buy a house too you know (laughs) if i can find that you know availability and size and and what i need i mean i'm in five six hundred square feet now and i would be comfortable buying this place should it be that option so
2: let's be real tyler you probably need a bigger walk-in closet right from this uh
0: well yes that is an issue yeah yeah, (laughs) you know if i owned this whole dining room would not exist (laughs) and that would be my walk-in closet so that's great yeah
2: yeah you.
0: our last little question not little actually quite huge that we have um and very uh on on topic for our listeners at home Um, as we all have friends in the trans and gender non-conforming community, um, there's been a horrific rise in violence, um, both physically and politically, um, as in Texas and our home here in Dallas. Um, So for example, uh, the rising murder rate of the transgender and non-conforming people, um, it was the highest it had ever been uh, since it's been tracked by HRC in 2020. When um, we've already exceeded that by six more um, already, and the year is not over. Um, on top of bills like the bathroom bill, of course, getting involved in kids' sports and not allowing them to play. Um, now, I know you have um, neighbors who do have um, a trans child, so I know this is something near and dear, dear for you, but um, what will you do and what have you done already to help this community specifically?
2: Well, that's, uh, thank you for the question. I'll tell you, uh, this is a, a set of issues, like you said, very near and dear to my and my wife, Rachel's heart. Um, I'm proud to say that Rachel and I, over the past several years, before I, before I ever even entered politics, um, have worked uh, in this community to fight for greater equality for our neighbors, not just talking about it, but achieving it. Um, I'll tell you, we have volunteered at the resource center over on the other side of town. We understand the the vitality or the the vital nature of that resource uh, for the for this community. We have served breakfast at the Cathedral of Hope over right next door. Um, We've been proud to do that and have learned. All the harrowing statistics that you're referencing, the short lifespan and life expectancy, especially for Black trans women in this city and in this state. It is it is harrowing. It is yeah. uh, unacceptable. Uh, we, of course, live right by White Rock Lake. I know that multiple murders have occurred near and in the lake, actually. Uh, and so we are very aware uh, of, of the uh, target that's on this community. One of my dearest friends in town is a, one of the felony prosecutors in DA Cruzeau's office, Robert Worthers. And Robert has educated me on this subject and has gone down and testified in support of a bill that would outlaw this, uh, quote unquote, trans panic defense for uh, people who murder transgender folks who cite as a defense, well, when I learned that the, the victim was transgender, I panicked and then I attacked them and killed them, basically. And so that somehow should mitigate their punishment. Uh, it's something that, that gets run out in all these trials uh, and is just, frankly, disgusting. <laughs> you know? There's just no, yeah. ba- no basis to that. Um, Robert went down there and testified in, uh, in favor of that bill. You can bet. I will be doing my best to push that bill through the legislature we need to stop that nonsense. We need to stand up for our transgender brothers sisters and siblings here here in this state in that way so. um, And then, you know, the other thing I'll say is, uh, you know, back in my time with the young lawyers, we fought hard for over a year, building a coalition. And my last meeting as president for the Young Lawyers in 2019, we passed a bylaws amendment with a nearly unanimous vote to give the LGBT Bar Association a full sister bar voting seat on our board. That, my friends, is not just talking about equality and inclusion, that's achieving it for people, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Giving giving this community a literal seat at the table, legitimizing their presence in our profession uh, in that way, at least, it was vitally important. At the beginning of that fight, the LGBT Bar Association had um, about a 30 percent chunk of its membership that didn't want to be publicly identified. And that's in law firms, you know, that are relatively I mean, I I wouldn't call them, um, you know, they're modern workplaces. Right. And often have offices in other states and other big cities where you wouldn't think that these, that this would be an issue. Uh, and it is, it is a huge issue for many LGBT lawyers here in town. I, I always say this way, you know, it's one thing to give somebody a seat at the table or to invite them, uh, you know, on paper. It's one other thing, it's another thing to truly include them and to make people feel welcome. Uh, and so as a state representative for District 114, you can bet, I would pick up the mantle of making all of the LGBT community, especially transgender folks, feel welcome in the Capitol. My friend Jasmine Crockett, frankly, has provided that refuge for anybody um, in the trans community, especially to feel like they have a safe place in the Capitol to go and to be heard and to be defended and protected. I I am intent on filling that void as, as Jasmine's now running for Congress.
1: Yeah, awesome 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 thank you charlie that really does mean a lot especially for all the listeners here on the podcast it's important that we have people like you who are willing to fight for that um we're we're starting to come up on time but i did want to sneak in one last little question um and so a lot of this interview we've kind of been talking about or chat i should say we've been talking a lot about just you know how we're reacting to whether it be the weather or right-wing authoritism or everything else but let's let's say You get into office, you're able to move past these things, we succeed, we move on. Aside from all these things we're having to react to, what what is the vision you have for Texas? What do you want Texas' future to be?
2: A great, great question. And this is really the heart of this campaign. We're not just reacting to these negative things, but we have a proactive vision for this state, a better Texas, as I call it, right? Where stuff works, where our power grid works, where every child, is allowed to live in love and peace and dignity, where everybody has access to safe communities, to good schools and to well-paying jobs, right? Where opportunity abounds. You know, I hear from so many people on the trail that they really want government to get back to focusing on the three main things that most people agree government should be involved with, right? Education, healthcare, and infrastructure. You can count on us getting back to the basics, what I call the blocking and tackling of governing, right? Making sure our schools are well-funded, making sure that per-student funding goes up uh, as it should continue to go up and as it rose in 2019. You can be sure that we will work to make sure that everybody has access to affordable health care by expanding Medicaid and taking any other measures that we can to make sure that everybody, uh, you know, doesn't, isn't on their own to take care of their health or their parents' health or their children's health, right? And then lastly, we'll get back to making sure that our infrastructure works, our power grid works, our roads work, uh, that everybody, for instance, has access to broadband internet and that we don't have any quality and access to broadband internet. We, that was made, that was laid bare uh, during the pandemic. We have to fight for these basic necessities and access to these basic necessities for all Texans or else we're going to slide back. We're going to take a step back. And I don't want to see us take that step back. I see Texas as stepping forward, as capitalizing on the momentum and the opportunity that we have created and the vital economic environment that we've created. We're going to maintain that by taking some of these steps.
0: I love it. Awesome. Well, Charlie, thank you again for chatting with us today. Uh, For the folks at home, where can they find you on the internet?
2: You're so kind to ask. Gearingfortexas.com. It's on the yard sign back here. You can log on. You can read more about me, about different issues that are important for the campaign. You can get involved and volunteer to come block walk with us here over the next 75 days before the March 1st primary. And you can also log on and donate if you're so interested. We would certainly appreciate your support. Even 5 10 $25 donations are huge for us right now. And in addition, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Gearing for Texas. That's Gearing Like Gearing Up F-O-R-T-E-X-A-S. So thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you online and on the campaign trail.
0: Awesome. And then if you didn't hear primaries are March 1st. So mark your calendars and get to the polls. For now we'll say farewell well Charlie JP, thank you again for joining me. Um and be safe out there, y'all.
2: Hey, happy holidays, guys. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, JP. Take care. Bye. Of
0: course. Bye-bye. This has been a Homo's Modern Life production. Thanks for listening. If you want more, check out our sister show, HML Political Hookup, at HML Political Hookup on Instagram. If you want to see what we're up to, you can visit our website, homosmodernlife.com. And if you want to get in touch, you can reach out to us at homosmodernlife at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can cover your body with our merch at HML Shop on Instagram. If you're feeling generous, you can send us a cash tip on Venmo at Homo's Modern Life. Or send us a cash tip on Cash App, dollar sign Homo's Modern Life. Fare thee well.